You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. Go ahead and open your Bibles to John chapter 13. If you have your Bibles, uh, first service, I felt led to uh, just open up uh, with some testimonies, and I, I want to give time for that as well. It's important that we we um, are informed primarily by what God is doing, what God has done, rather than uh, all the bad news in the world around us. And too, too often believers aren't attuned to what they're allowing to inform, inform the way they see the world around them. And God's doing something on the earth today. God's alive and uh, he's working, he's moving. Um, I wanted to ask Pastor Tony to come back up and <clears throat> I wanted to ask him to share. Last weekend, he had the opportunity to go and be the guest speaker at the Chi Alpha Fall Retreat up in North Dakota, uh, the tundra of the north. He, he got the opportunity to, to share there uh, with, with hungry students, 250 plus students gathered there from, from, uh, from North Dakota State. And uh, Tony got the opportunity to share, with, spend the weekend with them. But he came back just so full of God and what God did there amongst hungry hearts. So I wanted him to share um, I heard over 40-some students received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But what else did God do, man? Yeah, God did a lot. You know, God responds to hunger. He responds to hunger. Just study the, the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. But God responds to those who are poor in spirit, those who hunger and thirst for him. And so um, that's why I believe that God just shows up here in a mighty way. And uh, what God's doing, God is moving among us here in this church. And so I just think it's amazing when we get to go out and uh, bring that other places. So, um yeah, many, there's many testimonies I could share with you, uh, but God was just healing a lot of students and setting them free from a lot of, a lot of junk, a lot of junk. Um, on Friday night, there was, uh, I felt the Lord wanted to heal people's spines. As we said, anybody who's got any, any issues with their, their back or their spine, um, raise your hand. And so uh, one girl in particular, um, one girl in particular, she raised her hand and so um, a small group leader came and laid her hand on her back and her back, her, her spine was all twisted up. I don't know if she had scoliosis or something, but it was all twisted up. And they started to pray for her and the small group leader was like astounded and freaked out because she began to watch her spine move. She watched the spine move and feel, felt it under her hand moving and straightened out. Man. And this girl was completely healed. Her spine uh, was completely made straight in the presence of Jesus. Um, there's another girl who came um, because someone invited her. Uh, you know, it's kind of selfish if we don't invite people into this. <laughs> um, there was a girl who, um, her name is Hannah, and she had been to Chi Alpha one time the year prior, and she was working at Caribou, and that a week before um, fall retreat, um, she was working and making coffee, and these two girls from Chi Alpha came in, and we're ordering coffee, and the coffee machine broke down. And so they're all just kind of sitting there waiting for it to get fixed. And in the middle of the waiting, they started talking, and they, these two girls invited her to Chi Alpha. And she goes, oh, I actually went to a small Chi Alpha, a small group one time. And so they're like, well, we have the fall retreat this week. You should come. And so she showed up. And uh, Hannah had struggled with epilepsy and um, <clears throat> uh, celiac disease and was also going blind. Um, she said six months prior, she had woke up with this severe eye pain in one of her eyes. The doctor went, she went into the doctor, and the doctor said, you're going blind. You're going to first, you're going to lose all the color, and then it's just going to go dark, and you're going to be blind. And so um, she came, 
up for prayer. And she said, why, why won't Jesus heal me? <laughs> and I said, I, I believe that he will. I believe that he will. And laid hands on her and on her eye, and she opened up her eye, and she said, I can, she, she could only see grays. Uh, she was completely colorblind, so she could just see grays. And she opened up her eyes and said, I can see red. I can see the color red. So we prayed again, just like Jesus did. We prayed again. And she opened her eyes, and all the color had returned. Wow. <laughs> all the color had returned in her eye. And I said, I said, I believe Jesus healed you of everything that is ailing you. And uh, don't go off your medication for epilepsy. Um, the doctor will confirm it, but we just believe that, that God healed you from that. So um, I just talked to Pastor Brad last night, and this whole week she, hasn't, she had seizures every day, and this whole week she hasn't had a seizure. Wow. <laughs> so just believe in God. God healed her. Oh. God was healing people from depression and suicidal thoughts. There was a girl who came up, just this little thing, really meek, and she just said, I just have depression. I feel this, like, just depression on me, and I just want to be healed. And, man, this freaked me out. Uh, so we were praying. I began to pray for her. And then in my mind's eye, I saw this picture of a submarine so clearly. And I, and I saw this submarine really um, deep underwater submerged. And uh, I said, I see the submarine. And submarines, when they're down in the depths, they're under this um, immense amount of pressure. And so there's like this pressure all the time. When you look out the window, you can't really see very much because you're so far deep, uh, you're so far underwater. So, but I see the submarine coming to the surface. And I see the hatch open up, and the pressure is just released, and you can see the open skies. And so I said, so I just pray in Jesus' name for a release. And I touched her forehead very lightly, and she screamed. I'm telling you, it freaked me out. And she screamed, and she, I remember seeing her face like as she's falling to the ground, looking up at me in terror, like, what is happening to me? And I'm like, what is happening to you? I don't know. You know, and I'm, and I, so I give my wife the eyes to, you should come over here. And so we, we start to pray over this girl, and she's down there for several minutes just sobbing, sobbing, sobbing. And then the sobbing uh, turned to laughter. And, uh, and she got up off the floor, and she said, and you prayed release. She said, I, said, I felt this pressure just release, this pressure that I always feel, this depression. And she said, I just felt waves of the joy of the Lord just cover me. Amen? Amen. 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 One more. There's many I can share. One more. There's a girl who had this disease in her hand. One night we were praying, God, healing. We pray God's healing hands tonight. I feel like God's healing hands. So there was a few people that got their hands healed. One girl in particular had this degenerative disease in her hands where um, all the muscles in her hand were dying slowly. And her hand, eventually the doctor said, would be shriveled up like this. And so that night, or at that point in the disease, her hand was, looked like this. And she said, I believe that God can heal me, but, and I'm a musician, and I can't play guitar anymore. I love to worship, and I just can't do it anymore. She said, I, when we prayed, I felt like something happened in my hand, but I looked at it, and it's still the same. And so, man, I said, well, Jesus is going to heal you. And so I put, put her hand in between my two hands, and uh, we began to pray. And we both watched in amazement as her hand just began to stretch out. <laughs> like this and she walked away just being able to bend her hand and do things that she wasn't able to do before amen amen, amen. and i know what you're thinking you're thinking man that's amazing and some of you are struggling and dealing with stuff in your own in your own life and you're thinking that's really nice for those people 
That's really nice. But Jesus wants to heal you and can heal you. And it's not uh, confined to just like one little weekend. Like God can do that right now, right here. So if you all, let's just stand across this place. So there's just, believe that Jesus wants to heal you this morning. If you need healing in your body at all, would you put your hand up? Or even in your mind or your heart, uh, whatever. If you need healing, would you just put your hand up? I'm not going to make you do anything. I'm not going to make you scream. I don't know. Um, but, but if you need healing, we're going to pray. I'm actually, I'm just going to pastor you pray. Yes, yes, yeah. Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. We thank you. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And so, Lord, the, these, the good news of the kingdom has just been declared in this house. And so, Lord, right now, in the name of Jesus, because of what was purchased on Calvary, we declare that healing upon minds, that depression would go in the name of Jesus, or that migraines would go in the name of Jesus, that oppression from the enemy would go in the name of Jesus, that sleepless nights would go, Lord, that arthritis and knees would go, Lord, celiac disease, Lord, other digestive issues, Lord, be healed right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, we just pray that you'd release people from the bondage of the enemy. That's what, that's what you came to do, Jesus, 2,000 years ago. And you set people free from the bondage of the enemy. So that's what we just declare upon every hand that is raised in the house this morning. You'd heal every one of them. There's one that's not, there's not one that's not seen by you. You see every one and you purchased each one. The high price, the blood of Jesus. We pray that, declare that over every individual in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Tony. You can go ahead and find your seat. Praise God. That's church. That's what church should be. You should leave the house of God, the gathering of God's people with more faith than when you walked in here. That's what's supposed to happen. It's the building up of God's people for, for the work of the kingdom. And so just praise God for what he's doing. And sometimes when people come from another place and they share testimonies, you can believe the lie that it's because it's some distant place, some nameless faces that you've never met before. But God is no respecter of persons. And what he did there, he wants to do here. For every college student, what God did there, he wants to do at Fall Retreat next weekend. Uh, I believe it. That's a great promo for Fall Retreat. I mean, if there's a single college student here that doesn't sign up for Fall Retreat, uh, yeah, there's something wrong. You're, you're, the wood is wet. So uh, we're going to light a fire in your heart. Open up to John chapter 13. We've been in the gospel of Mark for the last eight weeks, but this morning... We're starting a new series called Kingdom Culture. This entire school year, we, have, we are devoting to that theme, that gospel theme of the kingdom. When Jesus came, he talked primarily in terms of the kingdom of heaven, describing heaven in terms of a kingdom. And so over the next uh, seven or eight weeks leading up to Christmas, we are going to be talking about kingdom culture and learning to be students of culture. Because when you commit to following King Jesus, you pledge your allegiance and your devotion to King Jesus, you're now ushered into a kingdom. As a child of God, you're ushered into a kingdom. And so it's your, it's your prerogative, it's your, the mandate upon your life, the responsibility you have to now be a student of this new culture and to learn the ways of King Jesus. What are the things that he values? What are his priorities? What's the agenda of King Jesus? How does he talk? Uh, all those things that that encompass culture, we're gonna talk about over the next several weeks as we talk about kingdom culture. We need to be students of culture. We, we, we understand that concept. When you travel the globe, you begin to understand that 
the norms in your home, the norms in your home geographical location are not the norms in other locations. Um, you learn that as you, as you travel the globe. I remember traveling to the nation of Trinidad and Tobago and gathering around the dinner table, everyone eats with their hands. It's not with forks and spoons. Everyone gets in there and gets dirty. And that's, that's the, the essence of a good meal there. And in the States, maybe that could be seen as rude. Well, there, that's, that's seen as proper. That's the right way to eat, is get your hands in there and get dirty. I remember uh, traveling to the nation of Rwanda and walking down the sidewalk with a friend, a local Rwandan, and, and he grabbed my hand. Because in Rwanda, in Central Africa, it's common for men to show companionship, show friendship by holding each other's hands as they walk down the sidewalk. Um, so that's not, that was not normal for me. Uh, but I had to be a learner of culture. And uh, what's normal there may not be normal where I'm from. You know, as you travel outside of the Midwest to urban centers, to the coast, to other parts of the world, and you take on that Iowa nice in those locales, you'll realize that people think there's something wrong with you when you're smiling at strangers, right? You, you travel to an urban center, you're smiling at them, they're like, what is wrong with you? But that's just like, we're, we're born to let's like greet every person because we don't see a whole lot of people in the Midwest. You're just like, hey, how are you doing? They're like, why, why are you saying hi? We're like Buddy the Elf, you know, and in an urban center. We, uh, what's normal here is not normal other places. We pick up on that as we travel, that is what, what it means to be a learner of culture. And so it is when we're brought into the kingdom of heaven. You devote your, your, your allegiance to King Jesus. You have a prerogative, a, a mandate upon your life to now learn about his ways, to learn about his values, his agenda. And kingdom people, I believe, when, you, when this begins to be your primary paradigm of kingdom, I say, look out, enemy. Like, kingdom people are dangerous, as this one pastor said, we don't build big churches, we build big people. And that's what I, I totally believe, that as we build up big people in the kingdom, like establishing them, rooting them in this paradigm of the kingdom. Look out, enemy. Look out, devil. It reminded me of, a, of an interaction uh, from the book, The Screwtape Letters, where the elder Screwtape is, is guiding his mentee, a wormwood, and this is what he says about this very dynamic. He says, prosperity knits a man to the world. He feels that, is, that he is finding his place in it, while really it is finding its place in him. His increasing reputation, his widening circle of acquaintances, his sense of importance, the growing pressure of absorbing and agreeable work build up in him a sense of being really at home on earth, which is just what we want. That is the plan of the enemy to get you feeling more at home in this world rather than understanding the ways of the kingdom of heaven. We're primarily citizens of another kingdom, not primarily citizens of this world. And so, so we're gonna go after this the next several weeks, equipping us to be people of the kingdom first and foremost and understanding kingdom culture. So this morning, we're gonna talk about the way of honor. The way of honor. This is like a primary conduit of the love of God being expressed to the people around us is through the path, through the way of honor. So I want us, I want us to look at this in John chapter 13. And this is my simple definition of honor. Honor is the humility to recognize someone else's value from God's perspective. To see somebody else through the perspective of heaven. To have that sort of humility 
That is honor. And we see that time and time again exemplified through the life and the ministry of Jesus. He didn't see people through the lens of the world and the world's value system. He saw them from a different perspective. That sets us up for the way of honor. So I want us to look at John chapter 13, maybe, maybe a well-known passage to some in the house. This is, this is the passage that describes Jesus' last supper with his disciples. So I want this morning to immerse you in this story of Jesus gathered around the table, you know, reclined at the table with his disciples. I want you to imagine you are one of his disciples. I want you to experience the honorable King Jesus and be in his presence. So imagine that you devoted your life, three and a half years of your life, to following this rabbi, this teacher around. And as you left house and home and wife and children and, and vocation to follow this King Jesus, you literally sacrificed it all. You, you began to have a growing conviction that he truly was the Messiah, that he truly was the Son of God. You saw him cast demons out of the possessed. You saw him heal lepers. You saw him heal the blind. You literally saw him walk on water. You, you saw him upend the, the systems, uh, the religious systems of his day, call him to the carpet. There was this brewing sense of conviction that he truly was the Messiah, the Son of God. But there's this sense, the, the climax is growing and that it's coming to an end. He continues to predict his own death and his own resurrection. And that's where we find ourselves, John chapter 13, verse 1. Let's read it. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. So Jesus took on the role of being a, uh, being a servant. It's like, it's like putting on an apron to be, to be the waiter to, to his crew. So the climax is growing. The anticipation that he truly is Messiah and King is mounting. And yet Jesus continues to get lower and lower. He continues to, to, to turn the value systems on head. And now he's putting on a servant's towel around his waist. What is happening? Verse five, then he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wiped around him. You may be thinking that you have stinky feet, but your stinky feet are nothing like first century feet in Jerusalem, okay? These were feet that they simply wore sandals. They didn't have socks and, and well-covered feet. They, they trounced around in dust and dirt all day long, had blisters on their feet. And so it was part and parcel for, for Near Eastern culture to have servants in homes, and their role was to wash feet. The actual, actually, the Luke account of this story, it says the disciples were, were arguing about who was the greatest. And some scholars believe that they were actually arguing about who was going to have to be the one who washes everyone else's feet. Because it would have been, it would have been um, logical that in Jesus' crew, they didn't have a servant following them around. Instead, they all took turns washing each other's feet. Because that's what you do when you come into someone's house. Well, here Jesus... The closer and closer he gets to his exaltation and revelation of himself as king, the lower and lower he gets. And he's going to wash your feet. 
your stinky, blistery, dirty feet. And then he comes to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Now remember, this is the night of Jesus' arrest. This is the the night that Peter is going to deny Jesus himself. Three times he's going to deny him. Jesus knows this. Jesus washes Peter's feet. Jesus washes Judas's feet. This is like a love that we cannot fathom. It's like a love we cannot understand. Verse seven, Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. It's the mystery of grace. Grace like transforms our history to understand God's um, unfathomable love for us in our, in our past and how he's been wooing our hearts all along. He says, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Verse nine, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. So I love how Peter is the one who always says what's on his mind. He says what everyone else is thinking, really. And so he quickly says, he's trying to posture in humility. Oh, Lord, yeah, don't wash my feet. Well, Jesus says, well, if, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. So he says, okay, well then douse me. Okay, from head to toe, like douse me. He's still not understanding. He's literally talking about his dirty feet. Not about ceremonial washing. There's a ceremonial washing that the Jewish people would partake in it before they go and eat at a guest's house or at somebody at a host's house. But Jesus is literally talking about their dirty feet to demonstrate the servant heart of God, the way of honor. Verse 10, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. Verse 12, why he had washed their feet when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you, under, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. This is the way of honor to love people and their lowliness. And this is, the, this is the way that God is calling us to live in his kingdom, is in the way of honor. Getting down low into the muck and the mire with people and loving them, demonstrating the grace of God to people around us. But before we do that, first things first. The bar has been set, the standard has been set through the person of Jesus. He shows us the way of honor. And so before we can begin to show honor rightly to people around us, before we can begin to live a truly like uh, honorable lifestyle to people around us, we first have to encounter King Jesus and be a recipient of his grace. So that's where it starts. This isn't a practical message with three steps. This is starting by coming to King Jesus and receiving the grace of God upon your life. You first have to be like Peter and humble yourself to receive the foot washing before you can begin to build yourself up thinking that, you know, I'm just gonna add this way of honor to the other ways of being a good Christian. You still don't get it then. It starts by, by submitting yourself to King Jesus, by allowing your feet, the dirtiest places of your being, like the back rooms that are still locked in shame and darkness and obscurity that no one knows about, Those are the places that God wants to come and immerse in grace. He wants to demonstrate to those places that he loves you. 
So it starts by coming to King Jesus, encountering him. And I pray that that would be a reality for you. Each and every person seeing King Jesus in his rightful place, not as casual friend, not as your buddy that you, you kind of rub shoulders with on Sunday morning, but as highly exalted King Jesus who came down and he met you as an orphan. He met you in the muck and the mire and he still loved you, still embraced you. The one who is the personification of honor. He is honor. Paul tells, uh, tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. The way of honor starts with an encounter with the personification of honor himself, King Jesus. He is the honorable King Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12 says like this, therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. So we become recipients of the grace and the love of God, unfathomable love of God. And our response isn't we just go on living our lives however we want, it's reverence and awe leading to worship. That's a true encounter with King Jesus. If that is not our response is reverence and awe, I would question the legitimacy of that encounter. It kind of reminds me of a well-known story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 15, the story of the prodigal son. Most people have heard that story in some form or fashion at some moment, if you've been around Christian circles, the story of a, a wealthy father and his younger son comes in one day and pretty much wishes he was dead and says, I want my inheritance. He, the dad gives him his inheritance. He goes off, he, he spends all the inheritance, comes to his senses one day, says, I'm gonna go ask my dad for forgiveness. He doesn't just get his dad's forgiveness, but he, his dad actually was waiting for him all along. And his dad met him out in the field and embraced him, put a ring on his finger and said, we're gonna throw you a party. That's the story most of us have heard and known. And that is the story told in Luke chapter 15. But oftentimes we forget about the elder brother. And I would say when we forget to first become a recipient of the immeasurable grace of God, if we first don't allow Jesus to wash our feet, then we're like the older brother. The older brother was over there during the party, the party for the, the lost son that had returned. He's over there brooding over, over the, uh, the ways of his younger brother and his stupidity. And he says, Dad, how can we be celebrating this fool? He's, been, he's, been a, he's made our family a, a mockery to the town. Like, why would you receive him again? And then on top of that, why would we throw him a party? The, the older brother didn't get it yet. He didn't get it. So the father turns to him and he says, all that I have is yours. All that I, you've been with me all along. All that I have is yours. And the older son didn't realize that he was living himself as a recipient of grace. He hadn't yet encountered that grace from his father himself personally. He was living like one of the other servants of the household. So we first have to come before the honorable King Jesus and allow our feet to be washed that leads to an accurate understanding of value. The value in other people and our own value before God. It's once you become a recipient of grace and you allow him to wash your stinky, blistery feet, 
you begin to realize that God is the one who defines value, not, this, not these world systems. So the gospel is a message that proclaims value upon every human life. Do you want to know your value? Look to Jesus. God sent his very best for you. None of us were worth saving. I was not worth saving. You weren't worth saving. Except for Jesus said that you and I were. Except for he sent his very best, heaven's best, to save us. So we can know our value before God. This is revolutionary. This is transformative. When you begin to to understand that God is the definer of value, not the world systems. This weekend, uh, our Kids Point ministry hosted a Kids Point or a Kids Conference, Fall Conference for the kids, and kids took over this place. It was awesome. They decked out the the whole um, property with the theme of the kingdom of God. I just love our leadership team with Kids Point. They're so, they so much believe in the youngest amongst us. They put their heart and soul into these events. And, and Pastor Nicole, our Kids Point director, she had prayerfully asked the Lord just for a specific word for every single kid that was gonna come. But there's no such thing as a generic being, a generic kid. Everyone is seen uniquely in the eyes of God. Everyone has value. And she so owns that. So, so my six-year-old daughter, she came home. This was her first. I had three kids at the kids, point, or the kids conference. And this was her, her first time going overnight for a church event. And she was so excited to go. When she came back, she was even more excited. I assumed she would tell me about the donuts and the, the, the late-night pizza party and all those things and the scavenger hunt. But she, she didn't go to that first. Instead, I asked her about the weekend. And she said, Dad... I started to cry because I felt so special when Miss Nicole spoke words over me. <laughs> like she was just floored. She's six years old and she's having a revelation of the value that she has in the eyes of God, not in the eyes of man. doesn't matter what kids at school say, what anybody else says. She's having an understanding of the, of the value that she has in the eyes of God. And that's proclaimed through the cross. It's proclaimed through the death of Jesus. This is why Jesus' message was so revolutionary. He didn't come to save those who were well. Instead, he came to save the sick. He declared value upon a tax collector. He, beca- he declared value upon a prostitute, upon a leper. Jesus himself obliterates classism and racism and ethnic divides. Jesus didn't have a compartment for victims. He didn't see victims because victims imply harm as a result of crime. Instead, Jesus resets and recalibrates the value systems of this world. Before, G- before we have this encounter with King Jesus, when we're the recipients of this grace, our value is based on position and vocation or net worth or titles or material possessions. But then we encounter King Jesus and we realize our true value is reflected through both the image of God and the costliness of the sacrifice given on our behalf. This sets you free. It sets me free. This transforms everything. That's why I felt led to start, as we talk about kingdom culture, start with the way of honor. Because this so beautifully articulates the reason that God sent his son to demonstrate the value system of heaven. 
We can know that we have value and we can live on a higher plane because of the promotion that we've experienced in Christ. You don't have to wait for your promotion at work. You don't have to wait for your parents to affirm you or for your spouse to affirm you, for your neighbors to respect you, to feel like you're keeping up with them. You are affirmed because God gave his very best for you. No one can deride you or degrade you. I remember the story that I read a few years ago about the great preacher and abolitionist Frederick Douglass. The story is told that, his, that he was going to be taking a journey and as they, they came to pick him up, the, 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 the caddy driver or the, the, the carriage driver told him to hop in the, the baggage cart because of the color of his skin. And someone quickly saw this. Frederick Douglass was one of the most famous man, men in the United States at the time and saw this and came up and apologized to Mr. Douglas and said, oh, I'm so, I'm so sorry that that would happen to you. And this, was, this was Frederick Douglass's response. He said, they cannot degrade Frederick Douglass. The soul that is within me, no man can degrade. I'm not the one that is being degraded on account of this treatment, but those who are inflicting it upon me. It sounds so much like the words of Jesus. Lord, forgive, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. When we begin to understand the the value system of heaven and this way of honor, we become a recipient of grace and we realize, wow, I have been so loved so well in my dirtiness, in my, in my failures. And we're set loose. Like we're unoffendable, unstoppable. That's why I say kingdom people are dangerous people. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come forward. I want us to end. Our, our value is based on the value placed upon us by the, by the king. When we have a revelation of this, an understanding of value in the kingdom, then this becomes the, the beginning of a life of honoring others. This becomes the way of honor for us as a, way, as a lifestyle. We begin to see people with value because we see the image of God in them. We begin to see people through the perspective of God from the perspective of God, we begin to see, oh wow, God paid his very best for that person. We begin to be people that help restore dignity to other people. We stop trying so hard to perform. We stop trying so hard to to win out on these comparison battles with other people. We realize that Christ is enough. No more jockeying for position because Christ is enough. If you'd all stand in this place, I want us to respond to the Lord. We have an opportunity to live honorably, to live lives that honor those around us because of an encounter that we've had with King Jesus. Because we've been recipients of grace. Because we were first washed. But while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He came down to the lowest places to lift us up, to not stay there, but to lift us up and to then be purveyors ourselves of grace in this world, to honor people. So this is the way that God's calling us into. And I wanna give us an opportunity to respond to King Jesus this morning. If you'd all close your eyes, bow your heads this morning. I wanna give an opportunity for people in the house this morning to surrender their life to King Jesus. If you're here and you've never done that, I wanna give you an opportunity to pray that prayer of surrender It's not a magical formula of words. It's a moment of surrender before King Jesus. But secondly, I also want to give an opportunity for all of us in this house this morning 
to immerse ourselves in a greater level of grace so that we can live lives that honor other people. We begin to prefer other people before ourselves. We begin to sidestep the stage and begin to prefer other people before us. We begin to truly live like Jesus lived, just as he told us to do. This is the way we're gonna live. We're gonna wash people's feet. There's gonna be no task, no role that's too low for us. I'm gonna pray a prayer of response for us to step it up. That's so rare in the church for people to walk into a house, into a community, and so immersed in a culture of honor. And I want us to experience that as a church. So if you're part of that first group and you say, Drew, I need to surrender my life to King Jesus. Maybe you've been around church, maybe you've been around Christianity. But when I talk about receiving the grace of King Jesus, you'd say, yeah, Drew, I'm, I'm not living in a way that's, do I've really received that? For me, it hasn't been, hasn't been real or it hasn't, I haven't been living in response to that. I wanna give you an opportunity to, to pray a prayer right now, to surrender your life to King Jesus. If that's you this morning, would you raise your hand? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, several hands this morning. Is there anybody else? You can put down your hand. Anybody else? Yeah, thanks. So if you raise your hand, or even if you didn't, like I said, this is about an encounter with King Jesus. This is a submission of your own heart before him. This is how you pray from your own heart. King Jesus, I come before you, realizing there is nothing I can do on my own to save myself, to clean myself up. And so this morning, I come to the end of myself. This morning, I, I recognize and I declare my need for you, King Jesus. I want to receive your grace. I want my feet to be washed by King Jesus. I want to humble myself and say, I can't do that on my own. Just allow yourself to receive that grace right now. You're no longer an orphan. Now you're adopted into the family. Now you belong in him. You don't have to keep striving. Surrender your heart to him. Yes, Lord, I pray over those hearts surrendered themselves to you for the first time. Just pray. Just God, wash them right now with the grace of God. Wash them clean, Lord Jesus. Set them free from striving and works-based religion. Set them free, God, into this kingdom in your mighty name. Can we give those that prayed that prayer, prayer a huge hand? Secondly, I'm going to pray a prayer over us corporately that God would just allow us to experience a greater level of his grace so we can live lives of honor towards those around us. I believe this is going to mean something for your marriage, for the way you talk to your kids, to the way you talk to your parents, to the way we interact in the workplace. This transforms everything. So let's just pray right now and receive from the Lord. I pray, God, for an overwhelming sense, just like we just immersed ourselves in that upper room now, Last Supper, I pray that in a greater way we would have that convic conviction of the reality of being recipients of grace. Lord, we'd feel so overwhelmed by the love of God 
that nothing in this world could steal it. And therefore, God, we can endure ridicule. We can, we can endure persecution, misunderstandings, and just love radically, selflessly, sacrificially. We can lay down our lives for people. We can sidestep titles and platforms so that other people can shine. I pray in your name, Jesus. We wanna walk in the way of honor. I pray upon this church that in greater and greater levels, Lord, we would, we would exude this way, of the, this way of honor, this way of the kingdom. We prefer others before ourselves, that we would emulate the servant heart of King Jesus. I pray it in your mighty name. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.